0: Shalom, everyone. This is Luke Tanner for Zion Hebraic Congregation. Today's Shabbat message is from John chapter 9 by my dad, Warren Tanner. The title is Yeshua and the Blind Man. Feel free to check us out on our website, ZionHebraicCongregation.com. There you will find other blog posts written by my dad. Uh, there are other Shabbat messages that we have up there. If you enjoy this uh, podcast, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes or whatever your i. Uh, uh podcast platform is um, there's also links on our website for our social media accounts so uh, facebook instagram and twitter enjoy hey mighty you us Let's, uh, let's go to our passage of scripture. So um, this is such a great chapter. It really is. i got to calm myself down. <laughs> it just gets me so worked up. Um, I'm going to give you an outline for the chapter. This is just... Not set in stone, it's just something I came up with just to have one. So, and and it just actually happened this morning because I'm rereading it and rereading it, and I'm thinking, gosh, how does this break up? So this is how I've done it. You have discussion, verses one through twelve, division, verses thirteen through sixteen, denial, verses seventeen through twenty-three, disciple, verse twenty-four through thirty-eight, damned. 39 through 41. So discussion, division, denial, disciple, damn. That's how I've broken this up. And, and so we're going to be looking at this guy, this blind guy. And, and it's, a, it's a very fascinating uh, thing to look at. It, it really is. Um, <clears throat> a few just general thoughts along the way. So, so when I was reading this, it just for whatever reason dawned on me Yeshua has been talking along the way to individuals. Though he's crowded and thronged by multitudes of people, somehow he, he interacts with individuals. So so far in John, Yeshua's met with Nicodemus, chapter 3, the impotent man, chapter 5, the woman taken in adultery, chapter 8, and now we have the man born blind. And I, I love that. You know, as I was thinking about that, you know. Somebody else real busy try to get a one on one with them. you know think of a, a politician or i don 't know a rock star movie star i don 't know you can 't get close to these people you can 't do the one on one you know early on, you could do the one on one like for example, Ronald Reagan when he was going to run for president or starting to he came to our university and he spoke and he then walked outside and you could get like right there and if I was close enough that if i Wanted to, I could have said something, maybe shook his hand as he walked by. You know, it's difficult to have one on one. Now, Yeshua's, there's a lot of people attracted to him, but somehow, and stick with me here, somehow he was able to focus in on the individual. Now, to me, that is awesome because that's what God does when he reaches out and saves us, right? I mean, do you think about it? I think about it all the time. Why me and my family, all my cousins that I know of, aunts, uncles, sisters, grandparents, parents? Why aunts, uncles? Why, why me? You know, so to me, in this world that I have, this individual God came to and I responded. I don't understand that theologically, but I did. Well, this is what God does in salvation. Out of all the people that are living in this world right now, salvation is an individual thing. Can I say it this way? Yeshua comes to that individual and makes contact. And, and if there's a response, you have this one-on-one. This is so cool because there's a gazillion people. Now you're one-on-one somehow with God. And that, if brought to finality, brings about a new birth, a salvation. And this is what Yeshua is doing as he meets with individuals in the midst of everything. He still is reaching out and grabbing those to bring to himself. I don't know how else to explain it. I know there's theological ways, and, and I don't want to get an election and predestination and all this Calvinism, all this stuff. You can talk till you're blue in the face. You're never going to be able to explain any of that. So, anyway, there's this, this aspect of Yeshua meeting with individuals. And He still does. You, think, you pray. Do you think about this? I, I think about it all the time. You know, I, I grew up in, just while they still had to sometimes plug into things. You've seen it on TV, and there's like a, a dozen operators, and they're all plugging in. Well, I, I view it that way when I talk to God. It's like, how does He do that? You know, how, how can He hear me? How can he read my thoughts when he's somehow doing it with, you know, he? you get what I'm saying? This, the magnitude of our God and the fact that we're saved and what we've been brought into is, is so wonderful. And I was just reveling in the right sense in the fact that somehow this busy God still interacts with me. And I don't even have to say any words. You, can, you know, reading my thoughts, hear my thoughts. All right. So the individual. All right. Now, I think then that, that's one thing. The second thing, and we might not get very far at all. Um, this chapter, I think, proves at least two things. The deity of Yeshua and that he is the Messiah. And, and we were not going to go into this because we'll never get out of here. But um, the fact that this chapter at least in part shows that he's Messiah is because he deals with the healing of this blind man. And this is one of those messianic indicators. Things that should be showing that uh, when the Messiah comes he'll do this thing. And, and we, we know that because if I can find the verse, because I wrote it down but I don't know where to find it. Uh, if we ever read it. Uh, Anyway, later on, they say, you know, he's not the Messiah. I wrote it down somewhere. I don't know where it is, but we'll get to it. Um, And so this passage, oh, okay. so this is a Messianic passage, and it takes you back to verses like Isaiah 29, 18, Isaiah 35, 5, Isaiah 42, 7, and you can throw in 61, 1. So what is happening here is Yeshua is showing through the miracle of the healing of this blind man that he is God and he is the Messiah. And this is why they're ripping mad at him. And if we ever get to read it, we'll see it. All right. Now, this thing about the deity of Yeshua drives, this is driving me nuts. So, Luke, I was listening to those two guys that you know who I'm listening to. Messianic guys, young guys in their 30s, probably 40, early 40s, 30s. And, And these are the last that I respect. So they somehow, in this last one I've been listening to while I exercise on my exercise bike, they were talking about the deity of Yeshua. And, and how th- they were saying they affirm the deity of Yeshua, but they, some of their friends don't. So I'm, okay, alright, so maybe they're lost. But, and he says, as a matter of fact, I was talking with one of them this last Shabbat. Is there not something wrong here? I wanted to type right back and say, this guy, then, this friend of yours, cannot be saved. You cannot be born again and, and be in doubt whether or not Yeshua is deity, whether or not he's God. You, you, you can't have this. Now, granted, when you get saved, did I know? All, well, probably, yes, I did. But to the degree I know now, no, I didn't quite theologically understand this. But well, if you get saved, Saved, You're calling upon Yeshua to save you. And if he's just a human and he's not God, then what, how are you saved? Do you understand the, the problem in this? this? is huge. And you can't be telling me, I wish I was there to talk to these people. You know me. I would call them on the carpet right then and say, listen, you tell, all right, does it, you're, so is he saved? Oh, yes, he's saved. No, he's not saved. You cannot be saved and not believe that Yeshua is God, manifest in the flesh. We want to have a little leeway because we want people like Nehemiah to be saved. They believe in God, but he doesn't believe in Yeshua. He don't believe in the deity of Yeshua. Is he going to heaven? No. So anyway, so this passage proves he's a deity of of Yeshua, and that he's Messiah, and this is huge. And, and oh, I never thought I would hear that. You know, oh yeah, this in our congregation. You know, if we have people here that, that what happened with Chris and Caitlin's congregation, the Messianic congregation out there, probably because of Chris getting involved, it gets to the, brought to the forefront that the assistant guy didn't believe that Jesus was God. Didn't believe he was a Messiah, didn't believe he was a Messiah one and the same but he didn't believe he was a Messiah. This is a messianic congregation, the assistant leader under the guy who knew this, doesn't believe Yeshua is Messiah. We don't debate that. We don't tolerate that. You kick it out. You kick it out. You do not have, now granted, I'm, now if we're talking somebody just doesn't know, that's one thing. But if you're talking about somebody that claims certain things, no, no, we're going to deal with this, because that is a fox in hen henhouse. So anyway, that's with this chapter. I'm not getting anywhere. All right. Now, another cool thing in this chapter is the stages of understanding that this man goes through, which is, speaks to what I was just saying. You know, there's certain latitude, but. And so there's four stages. And I think I found this on my own in the past, uh, years and years and years ago, but totally forgot till I was reading some notes this time. So here's the four stages. First off, verse 11, He sees Yeshua as a man. He answered and said, A man that is called Yeshua made clay, anointed my eyes and said, Go. And and so I became healed. So He's a man. Then you get to verse 17. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou? He said, He's a prophet. So stage one, He's a man of his understanding. Stage two, oh, wait a minute. He's more than a man. He's a prophet. Then you get to verse 33. It says, if this man were not of God, this is the blind man talking, he could do nothing. So now we go from he's a man to a prophet, he's of God. And then, which you could say he's a man of God. And then you get to the last one, 35 through 38, where he's a son of God. Uh, 35, dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he? Lord, that I may believe on him. And Yeshua said unto him, It's me. Guy believes. What well, what's he believe in? The deity of God of Yeshua. I'm God. That's it. That's it. You cannot have salvation without that. All right. Now, this chapter is split up i I see it two ways. Physical healing takes place, verses one through seven. Then you have the spiritual healing, verses eight through thirty-eight. All right, so that's all my preliminary. <laughs> all right, now let's, let's read the chapter and then I'll just touch on maybe a few things in the first half a dozen verses or so, but I want us to at least read the chapter. All right, and as Yeshua passed by, now that takes us, I believe, back to f- verse 59, though not all are in agreement with it, but to me it makes sense. And, th- and this takes place in the temple. Then. Uh, took they up stones to cast at him, but Yeshua hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Verse 1. And as Yeshua passed by, he saw a man uh, which was blind from his birth, which to me was incredible. I don't know if this is the right way to say it. He's running for his life. Yeshua he's just trying to get away from that. And while this is how I picture it, while he's going along, oh, that blind guy stops. And you know, I just love that picture. You know, I don't know, you fill the rest in, I'll go too far. But anyway, that's how I see it. It's like, hey, oh yeah, you're that blind guy. All right, so verse 2. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Yeshua answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, meaning while I'm alive, the night when he dies, is coming when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, uh, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, now I just wish I had had, had uh, been there. He spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He's like him. But he said, No, it's me. Therefore said they unto him, Well, how were thine eyes open? He answered and said, A man that is called Yeshua made clay, anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool, Siloam, and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought, these are the neighbors, they brought uh, to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And now here's the crux of the problem. And it was a Sabbath day when Yeshua made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man's not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day, as they understood it according to their orator. Others said, well, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, what sayest thou of him that hath opened thine eyes? He said, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked him, asked him, saying, is this your son whom ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He's of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself. Explanation. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess, here it is, that he was the Messiah. So that's why I say this this passage is dealing with showing his Messiahship because they say it right here. They, They were afraid that if they confessed him as Messiah they would be excommunicated, cut out, put away from the synagogue. Therefore, said his parents, he's of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man's a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. But one thing I know, (laughs) I had a one-on-one with this guy and I'm different now. This one thing I know that whereas I was blind, now I see. They said unto him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I've told you already. You didn't hear? Are you going to hear it if I tell you again? Will you become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. This is their trump card. How dare you? Then they reviled him and said, "Um, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. 29. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. I love this guy. The man says, He's not backing off. Yeah, all right. Gloves on. We're going for it now. All right. Then the man answered, verse 30, and said to them, Why, hearing is a marvelous thing. This sounds like me. It's Sarcastic. You know, this is how I read it anyway. How i say uh, well, Man answers, Why, this is incredible. This is a marvelous That you people don't know from where he is, and yet he opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man, number three, were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. So his parents cast him out. He's out of his synagogue. This guy is really alone. To me, this is one of the saddest stories there is. Can you imagine? It's like I went home and I told my parents that I was saved, that I was born again, and my mom on two occasions said, Tip, I cannot believe you're my same son, but would not respond to my Savior who brought me from darkness to light. And basically, and they said, Tip, you needed it. It was good for you. You needed this. From that moment on, basically, in many ways, in my family, I was this poor guy. It was good for you, not for us. Oh, let's see, 35. Yeshua heard that they had cast him out. So what's he do? Goes and finds him. Says unto him, do you believe in the Son of God? He's getting him to think. He said, answer said, who is he? Lord, that I may believe on him. Yeshua said unto him, thou hast both seen him and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Any question in anybody's mind, this guy got saved? No, he got saved. How about those people that don't believe that are in in the Shabbat service talking and you know what? Don't really know that Yeshua was, was God, was deity. I question them. This is why God makes it crystal clear. There's no room for debate on this stuff. And yet the Messianic movement are so stupid. We want to say Nehemiah saved because look at the love that he has for God while he still denies Yeshua. Doesn't work, folks. Doesn't work. Now, Thirty-nine. And Yeshua said, "For judgment, I'm coming to this world that they which see might not see, and that they which see might be made blind." Well, wow, this got the Pharisees' attention, and some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said to him, "Are we blind also?" And I, I did, when I read this, it's like I can imagine their heads just spinning now when he says this. Yeshua said, to him, "If ye were blind, you should have no sin, but now you say we see; therefore your sin remaineth." I'm sure that just confused the heck out of them. What did he just say? Because it's, it's so, it's in a sense inverted. It's, I think is intentionally hard to grab a hold of, to make them think. Well, What did he just say? He just said, we're blind. Well, wait a minute. That guy, is, he's saying, you are spiritually blind. You are dead. You're damned if you don't believe me. Like that guy right over here. Now, let's go back to the beginning. I was going to check my watch to see how long I was going. But anyway, so just a few things that I think are pretty cool. All right. This is good. So 59, 759. He's, view it this way. He's in church. Yeshua's in church or a congregation. But this is at the temple. This is at the temple. This is where you should be able to go and be safe. But here, because of everything that's going on in chapter 8, uh, Fifty-eight, verily, verily, I say unto you: Before Abraham was, I am. That I am is saying he's calling himself YHWH. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Yeshua hid himself and went out of the temple, going through by the midst of them. And then we get to have night. Now, I've always do they? Why do they always have stones hanging around? Because you know why? You know, have you ever thought about it? Like, I'm thinking, why, why are these stones even there? And we're not really sure, some that I, so I tried to read about this, some think it could have been that they had these stones lying around for the repairs that were in progress or would need to be made. So it's like we have a pile of bricks over there, we've, we've, we've been doing construction, we kind of finished here, but there's some left over because we're going to be doing over there. But stoning somebody in the temple? And, and that got me thinking, you know, church should be a safe haven. Congregation should be a safe haven. But sometimes they're just such a battleground, a battlefield. And I don't want that anymore. I mean, we had it over in the school, some of you that were there. Some of those Shabbats that we had, were, and I was in the middle of them, obviously. So I, I can't excuse myself. But some of them were just horrible. One of the blessings so far has been we've been at peace. Right? I mean, our congregation, such as it is, and even with, you know, the couple herd herd-sized families that have been coming and others, I mean, it's been awesome. You know, the one place where you should have been safe, <laughs> the, here, here it is, the temple goes to the temple, and he's not safe. The, whole, the Shekinah glory goes to the temple, and he's not safe. I, I just I don't know, you know I can He came unto his own and his own received him not. This is living proof they want to take up stones and cast him because he just told them what he is—the truth. But I think there was prestige, money, position, machinery that had been in place. These people are making good livings. We, you're a disciple of him. We're disciples of Moses. You can just. Based the religious arrogance. These guys had elevated themselves. There's a, there's a big hunk of machinery that has to keep going. I know these people knew that they were up against something that was condemning them and they just weren't going to take it. And it got them killed. All right. Oh, I know I'm all over the place. Oh, oh, so now, all right, so verse two. Have you ever put on your thinking caps here? What doesn't make sense in verse two? And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Anything stick out there that just seems weird? Think a minute. I need somebody to talk to me here. What's weird about that, that question? Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What's wrong with that? Somebody, come on. Yeah, what part's wrong? Torn. They're asking, why is he blind? Is it his parents' fault or somebody else's fault? No, that's, no it didn't say, that's, how, that's right. How could he have sinned before he was born? There you go. There you go. That's it. What a question. Master, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Do you not see the problem there? That's the problem. If you just think, oh sure, the parents did something while the baby's in the womb or whatever, or because of the parents, you know, the, the sins of the fathers are passed down, sure. But before he's born there is the question. Who sinned? This that he's born blind. Before he was born, this man or he that was born blind? Who sinned? That, that's an, right. Nod your head. Somebody. You see this? This is the sort of thing we just read over and don't really think about or think, you know, we kind of turn around. And it's like, yeah, OK, I get it, but don't get it. But that's a, an interesting question. So I did a little bit of research and this was really good. One source said um, the question, this question has given rise to much discussion. It implies a belief that someone must have sinned or they would have or there would have been no suffering. Who then was it that sin? But how could a man be born blind for his own sin before he's born? That's the question. Now isn't that a good question? That's a great question. Well to me this verse if nothing else says that life in the womb is life. At least in their understanding there was no question to them. They're thinking how how was this man born blind? Was it something the parents did or did he do it? Now they're not talking, was he made blind after he was born? He was born blind. Was it the parents that sinned or did he sin? We have to address this. We have to think through this stuff. This is stuff like this we've just glossed over and not seen. And it's to our own demise because this. Anyway. So I, I love this. So, so they, this source of four answers have been suggested. Uh, the predestinarian notion. The predestination notion that the man was punished for sins which God knew he would commit in the course of his life. They say this is utterly unscriptural and scarcely fits the context, so that's no good. In other words, God knew that he would sin in his life, struck him with blindness while he was still in the womb. There's no basis for that. Then, this is interesting, number two, the doctrine of the transmigration of souls, which was held by some Jews. He might have sinned in another body. And and you can read that. They they believe this. But it's doubtful, this source says, whether this philosophic tenet would be familiar to the disciples. But there were some that believed now this body and we have people in our congregation like this that believed. yes, this guy was the spirit of this guy and Lennon was the spirit of this guy. Remember this? And, And Elvis was the spirit of this guy. And this transmigration of souls. We had this in our congregation. This is just BS. But yet we we countenance and discuss it. I'm done with that. All right. Number three, the doctrine of the preexistence of the soul, which appears in Wisdom, chapter 8, verse 20, and and I won't even get a verse, but in the Apocrypha, the book of Wisdom, talks about this. Wisdom 820 talks about the doctrine of the pre-existence of the soul, which appears in Wisdom 820. Oh, this is what it says. The man's soul sinned. Oh, yeah. The, the man's soul sinned before it was united to the body. That's the doctrine of the preexistence of the soul. And that's what it says in 820. It says, when I when I was, I forget I should have quoted. It. But anyway, it's wisdom 820. We don't need to go there. Then there's number four. And this makes sense. And this helps explain this. And I think it's powerful. The current Jewish interpretation of Genesis 25, Psalm 51, 5 and similar passages. That it was possible for a babe yet unborn to have emotions. Luke 1, 41 through 44. And that these might be and often were sinful. On the whole, they say, this seems to be the simplest and most natural interpretation of John 9.34. Now, I hadn't thought of it that way, and I've read these verses forever and ever and ever. Let's go back to them real quick. So go back to Genesis 25. The fact of consequential things taking place in the womb that impact possibly set a direction for that child once they're born. You know, is this, ch- this unborn child in the womb just a blob kind of hanging out? And nothing really going on until it's born. Well, I think we, we live long enough to realize, you know, we can get a response from a baby if we sing to it and certain things happen, blah, 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 blah. All right, but the Bible is way ahead of that. So Genesis 25, let me get there. Um. All right. So 19. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham, some. Abraham begot Isaac uh, and goes on and on and on and on and on. And then so in 21, Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord entreated him, was entreated of him. And Rebekah his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the elder. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, first came out red all over like in hairy garment, and they called him, his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and he took hold of Esau's heel. And his name was called Jacob And and Isaac and blah, blah, blah. So I think there's something going on between these two guys in the womb. Now, you disagree, agree, I don't know. But this this is an understanding of what goes on in the womb. I mean, like Eric was just telling me this morning that New York just passed a thing that you can abort full term. We're way beyond is it life in the womb. Doesn't matter anymore. Kill it. You don't want to kill it. If nothing else, this verse is telling us that there is life in the womb and patterns are being formed. Two nations are in the womb. There's something going on inside there. She says, man, if you're blessing me and this is of you, what's going on in here? God said, hey, something going on in here. Don't worry about it. But I don't know. Then Psalm 51 5. This one's not quite as strong, but this is a good one anyway. To me, I just found this fascinating because it kind of opened my eyes to think a little differently. So Isaiah 51, 5, this is the David and Bathsheba thing and and David's all upset and he says, verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. This is one of these verses we go to that says that man is born a sinner. Well, something's going on ahead of time. right? Turn up to this is a good one, Luke 1. And, you know, you might have already thought this stuff. I'm usually the last one to come to the party anyway. So, Luke chapter 1, verse. Uh, f- All right, so uh, 39. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into the city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And and then it goes on and then it says 44, For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. I love that. I don't know what to do with it, but I love that. Who sinned that this man was born blind? His parents or did he? I I don't know where to go with this, but I think it's a fascinating look into the fact that we have come so far, we're arguing, is it life in the womb? Scripture is clearly telling us something's happening in the womb. It's even going so far as to say that developmentally, things are taking place, taking shape, they can be impacted because here you have uh, uh, Eliz- Mary comes in, Elizabeth, the ba- here's Mary come in, and John the Baptist in the womb, who's not even John the Baptist yet, knows what's happening. Hey, he, the, the Messiah just walked into the womb, and neither of them are alive yet. This is huge stuff. Now New York says, kill it, even after it's born if you don't want it, right? I'm right on that, right? That's so why I don't watch the news, sick of this stuff. All right. <laughs> Am I putting you to sleep? I've got to get through some of this. Oh, okay. So we'll just go through the first couple verses. All right. So this is good. Uh, verse 3. Yeshua answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents. So he just puts it to bed. He doesn't even give the big explanation that I did. Because I think he knew already how they were looking at the passages of Scripture that we looked at, especially if you go back to Genesis. So I said, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents. This is so good, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now I'm thinking, you know, this guy's of age. Some say that makes him at least in his 30s. I'm thinking, you know, God, it would have been nice if you sent me a memo here a lot earlier to let me know that somewhere along the lines you're going to come, you're going to meet me, and I'm not going to be blind for the rest of my life. God didn't do that. None of that stuff. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, God, that really would have been nice to have done. But he didn't. There's probably good reasons that he didn't. But why was he born blind? Why was he born the way that he was? Can I say it that way? We hear, why was born that way? Fine. I'm, label whatever you are. Why was this man born the way he was? Somebody tell me. For the glory of God, for Yeshua. That's why we're all born. I don't care who sin. The question was... What sin caused this? It's a sin issue. I don't care if you're born blind, that's the wrong way to say it, or you're born LGBT plus ABC and XYZ. I don't care what sexual letter you put yourself in the alphabet now as. I'm not going to argue that you were or were not born that way. I will agree with you. You were born that way. Let's end that. Now, why do you think you were born that way? Well, because I can't help it. <laughs> I feel like when when he gets get, get gesticulated, I can't help it. Well, of course you can't. Now, why do you think God sent his son? Uh, to accept me as I am and love me as I am and not change me because he's happy that I'm in sin? no came to deliver you from that. Well, then why did he make me this way? Because that's the factor that God knew you needed to have to drive you to him. It's your sin and its manifestation that will drive you to God for salvation. And he knows each person has to be. There's a different trigger point for everybody. So he was saved to manifest the works of God. Then you get to verse 6, you know, Caitlin, if you're listening to this, you would not have let Yeshua do this. (laughs) I won't go into this. But verse 6, when he had thus spoken, he spit on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. He's also done something similar in uh, Mark 7.33 and Mark 8.23. We're not going to go to it. But he spits. Into the ground, yuck! I don't like having somebody spit on me. You know, in, in in the wintertime when you can see your breath, you can sometimes see ping, 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 ping. You, you, the spittle goes out, and there's a spittle coming at you because you can see it. I don't want anybody spittle on me. Could you've done this a, a more sanitar, uh, sanitized way, Yeshua? And there's a whole lot that goes into this. I don't want to go into this. But he he spits on the ground. It makes mud, smears it over his eyes. You know why? My simple initial reaction was, well, if you, you, maybe the guy's faking it because there seems to be a question whether or not he was blind or not. And now he has to go from point A to point B to, to the Pool of Siloam. If he just says, OK, go there and wash, well, maybe he's not really blind or he's just la- labeled legally blind but can still see and gets there. Well, some people are going to question that. He spits on the ground, makes a mud pie, sticks it on his eyes and says, go. And how did he get there? That's the next question. So, you know, did somebody take him? Some said, you've seen blind people walking down the street. Somehow they get to go, they're going where they're going all by themselves. This guy knew how to get there. Perhaps. People are watching him. Yeah, he definitely can't see where he's going. It could simply be that simple. Or it could be, and I can't get into the rest because we'll never get out of here. But um, to me, this, this is proof uh, that he was actually blind. Oh, but the other strong one is, is, this is all being watched. Jesus, you should have just worked on the Sabbath by spitting and making this with his hands. He broke the Sabbath. And Yeshua purposely is using this man as a demonstration to show the religious leaders that their view and interpretation of the Sabbath is wrong. And once again, he's here to set the record straight. He's going to restore the Torah, not to the oral Torah that they're botching, but what it should be. And that may be the greater reason why he did this on the Sabbath. And we can't lose sight of that. Now, this is, this is now, people are getting blood boiling, and you get to verse 16, Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man not a God, because he keeps not the Sabbath. And then you find out there's a division among them. Truth always causes a division. It just does. You know, And this isn't the only place you have it in 743 and you have it in 1019, this thing of a division. But then you get to the saddest aspect, verses 18 through 23. He's disowned by his parents. <sighs> A lot of people won't come to Yeshua because of what they're going to have to give up or lose. Lots of times it's the family tie that keeps people from coming to Yeshua. It's, it's, lots of times it's their, their own past sin that they've committed, which I believe has been the case in some of my family members. Once I found out what some of the sin was after they had passed on, this is why they could not bring themselves to salvation, because it's an acknowledgement of sin. I have sinned. Well, what was that thing that manifested itself to such a degree in your life that brought you to Yeshua. Well, I'd rather not talk about that. And some people won't and don't. You sometimes lose stuff. Family, friends, relationships, jobs, positions coming to Yeshua. And you will lose in this life. But this man had the foresight to see, you know what, if he could heal me physically, it gets him to the Spiritual healing, which is what the Pharisees missed. And Yeshua said, I've just given you a perfect demonstration, and it proves you guys are spiritually blind and damned. Can't you see this? No. Why? I think because this thing where he makes a clay goes back to Isaiah 44:18, 18, where it talks about where God closes their eyes. It's a word daubed or to smear, and that's this word. God smears the people's eyes with spiritual blindness so they can't see. And Yeshua, by demonstration, is saying, you people are spiritually blind. God daubs the eyes with spiritual blindness. I am God. I put this... Coating over his eyes, just like it talks about in Isaiah, which shows that God puts the blindness spiritually in people's lives. And I'm telling you, Pharisees, you are blind. I am God, and you're not coming out of your blindness because you will not accept me as yod He vav Woo! <sighs> <sighs> That's good. I don't know. I get blessed. It's like Lester Roth used to say with Apostle Paul when he, he'd do some verses and end with an amen. And Lester said, going on, amen. And he said, hey, even the Apostle Paul loved his own preaching. <laughs> I loved it. All right, I got to stop. I have to stop. I know I've been all over the place. I, I sometimes go back and listen to my messages. And, and if nothing else, though they're long, I give you something that's worthy of your time. I want to believe. I give you something. I'm not boring you to death. I'm making you think. I'm giving you stuff. We're sticking with the scriptures and I'm not We're not talking about socialism, social issues uh, and all this other stuff that goes on in, in Messianic congregations and in Christian churches today. <sighs> so that's it. The man that was born blind for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. It was such a comfort to me because I know within my own self. I mean, I just been a certain certain ways that I am as far back as I can remember. And I can, I can trace my sinfulness a long way back. Well, yeah, I struggle with stuff, but other people don't struggle with. But they have their own since they've been, I believe, in the mother's womb. Something happening. And you are at work. There are two nations in the womb. Oh, gosh, that's incredible. And so whatever it is we are born the way we are not to find excuses and not to ask you to accept us this way it's sin well however it's manifested when we get to that point to know the difference and i thank you father that though i hate my sin and hate that sin and hate what it was and hate all that stuff that was pertinent to me just like everybody else i'm so glad father That was uh, the thing that brought me to you, like this blind man, born blind, to one day be physically healed and spiritually healed to manifest the glory of God. And we still read about it now after all these years. Father, help us realize we were created for a purpose and we were saved for a purpose. And some of those things we we don't like about ourselves, perhaps we wish to shed, help us to realize we've been forgiven of, of who and what we are in its totality, but it's because of that you use us, how you use us as a saved vessel, born again, washed in the blood of Yeshua, who is deity. No argument. Father, just continue to use us for your glory and help us to just be living testimonies to the dynamic working of the Holy Spirit that brought us to you. In Yeshua's name, amen.